Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. If I say the name Mount Everest, what comes to mind? Maybe you picture a majestic snowy peak. Maybe you imagine climbers battling strong winds and sub-zero temperatures. Perhaps you picture what it would be like to stand on the rooftop of the world. What most of us don't think about is what it would be like to actually live near Mount Everest. What if you grew up in a village at the foot of the mountain? Imagine being a teenager there. You live in a house with no electricity, no plumbing. You have so many siblings that you refer to each other by numbers instead of names. You don't go to school, even though you'd like to. And you've never seen a car. That's the premise of a new novel called Nima. It's about a 17-year-old Sherpa girl who's about to enter into an arranged marriage and is trying to figure out what she wants in life. The story explores questions of culture and ambition and gender, and it offers a glimpse into an economy where earning a living often means disrespecting the mountain that enables you to earn that living. Today, we talk with the author, Adam Popescu. Nima is Adam's first novel. His background is in journalism, and he joins us today from his home in Los Angeles. So how did the idea for this book come about? I went to Nepal in the winter of 2013, and we were just talking about how cold it is for you in Wyoming. It is cold, cold, cold in the Himalayas in winter, and there was no heating and there's no showers, and you're cold and you stay cold. And little did I know, coming from Los Angeles, really what I was getting into, but I wanted to do a story for the BBC about the human footprint on the mountain on Everest and the trash and really get a sense of what life is like there. And when I got home, I thought that it was a bigger story and I thought there was more there for me to talk about that didn't fit into the journalism, into the reporting. I basically thought of it as a nonfiction book at first. It didn't go where it needed to go. There wasn't a, a death and there wasn't a summit, which sounds cold, but in the publishing world, those were the things that were, I guess, holding it back. So I thought about what character and what story could I tell that would be very impactful and would be meaningful and also different. And, and for me as a writer, interesting to write about and I, I came upon the idea of a young woman who lives on the mountain, who is by circumstance uh, forced to make a lot of hard choices with her future and decide what she wants to do with her life in a way that is coming of age that everyone can relate to. And yet it's very location specific and touches on issues of climate and class and gender in a place and in a form of fiction that I don't think we've really seen much in the West. What is life, obviously this is a very broad question, but what is life like for Sherpa women around Everest? Well, I think the irony is life for Sherpa women 
at in Everest or on Everest is better than for other ethnic groups of women in other regions of Nepal. And that's because there is the name brand of Everest and a lot of tourists come. So there is a small economy of tea houses, of stands, of um, tour operators that cater to those people. So within the mountain economy, if I am, let's say, a guide, I can make fairly decent money for Nepal, which is one of the most impoverished countries in the world. And if I make decent money, I might be able to send my daughter to school in Kathmandu. I might be able to have my wife not have to work in the fields and she can run the tea house where it's warm. To us, these people are very, are very poor. Within the society of the mountain, they're considered to be more well-off. There's fair, many regions, Longtang and Mustang and all these places where people don't go as much. And it's a very strange push and pull because you want to keep a place uh, authentic. Or at least they, they want to in terms of a journalism story or a guidebook or whatever. And how do you keep a place so-called authentic if the economy is based on visitors, on outsiders? And what kind of opportunity is there for younger people to have a fulfilling life with change if they're stuck having to do a bit of a kabuki show of the old customs, the old dance. It doesn't almost allow a culture to evolve and change. So these are very much universal themes, whether it's in Alaska with indigenous people or it's in South America or with the Maasai in Kenya or to a degree, even some rural towns in the U.S. with maybe an old west town or a place that was famous for something in the heyday in the past. How do you bring it to the present and how do you have a fulfilled life? And plus, how do you have it where now everyone wants a car, an iPhone? They want to be able to live in the 21st century and have the amenities that all of us have or all of us want to have. That can be very challenging too because you think that we, we, we fetishize and romanticize sometimes people and places and things and don't allow them to have to exist in the modern world. And that's not fair to them. Right. What do so the Sherpas that you talked with there, what do they think about all of this? Well, that's a very interesting point that people don't talk about much, at least here in the media there is uh, a lot of reverence for the mountain and they believe that there's spirits and, and, and deities that live on this mountain or in the mountain. And in the last few years with all the, the, the serious disasters that have happened on Everest, there is talk within the Sherpa community that this is the way that the mountain is showing its displeasure with Sherpas and with uh, Nepalis who are corrupting the mountain, you know, it is a cash cow and it is hard to say no to some foreign doctor from Massachusetts who has $80,000 that he wants to spend going to Everest and who cares that he's never been to even Colorado he's got in his head that he's going to do it and I need the money and I 
have been doing it for five, six years and I have five, six kids and you know what? I'm going to take him. I'm going to make sure he's safe. I'm going to pray we have the right weather window. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, the a lot of the belief of, wait a second, we're disrupting the equilibrium here with, with, with how to treat their mountain with respect. And maybe the mountain is showing its displeasure. And that's something that I've heard from people several times. And that's why they're, you know, according to some, that's why there was that tragedy in 2014 and 2015. And this is why the, the mountain is showing that it's, it's angry, that it's being abused. And when I tell you this now, it, it, I, I, I say it with some detachment. But when you're in the mountains, sometimes these kind of feelings don't seem so crazy. Okay, so we'll talk about what it was like to create the character of Nima in just a moment. But first, I wanted to pause and tell you all about another podcast you might be interested in, particularly if you live in Colorado. The show is called The Colorado Edition. It's a daily news podcast from KUNC, and it's one of our sponsors for this episode. When you listen to the Colorado edition, it'll take you less than 30 minutes to get up to speed on the most important news, issues, and stories that impact us all, from politics and the environment to music and the arts. You'll get to hear in-depth stories as well as interviews with Colorado newsmakers, artists, politicians, and more. And because life is a mix of work and play, the show also highlights culture, the arts, and the outdoors across the Mountain West. For those of you who like to listen to the actual radio, Colorado Edition airs on KUNC Monday through Thursday at 6.30 p.m. And for everyone else, you can find the show wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our conversation with Adam Popescu. So this is your first novel, um, and you're coming at this, you know, from a journalism background. I'm curious what that transition was like going from writing nonfiction to writing fiction. I loved it. I, th I thought it was really liberating in a lot of ways. And I thought the journalism was helpful because it gives you a good eye for detail. But it's also a medium that has limitations. And... It's all. It's always also third per, almost always third person, and I wanted to do first person. Even if I'm not that character, I thought first person was more interesting because you can have reactions, you can have emotional takes, and you can also get into someone's mind. And that's to me is what makes the novel such a beautiful art form. Is that what other, what other platform can you really see how another person thinks? What do you hope readers will take away from the book? I hope that readers will reassess some of the romantic notions they have of this place. I hope it gives them some curiosity. And I hope also that there will be more male readers. Because another sort of taboo as a male writing in a female voice is that other men will say to me, well, that's not really my thing. And... I think to myself, well, why? Because it's a, it's a female character. It's it's not masculine enough for you, or it's not, uh, or it's too feminine. And I find that kind of 
odd and a bit sad. And so I hope that maybe in a sense it could also challenge the, the standpoint of or the viewpoint of well, what books am I supposed to read or, or who the ideal reader is. Is Nima based, so Nima is the central character in this book. Is she based on a real person, on someone you actually met there? So Nima is representative, I think, of a lot of this, a lot of young women in the Himalaya belt. She is not one person, but when you're in the mountains and you see a child of 12 with a bundle of 50 kilos maybe carrying water or wood up a very steep path, you think to yourself, does that child go to school? Do they get a chance to go to the doctor? Are they going to get a chance to see the ocean ever? I mean, there's so many things that pop up in the mind of a curious person. So Nima wasn't one person. I felt like she was representative of many people. So I'm guessing that um, in in researching this book and in sort of figuring out how to create the character of Nima, you must have spent quite a bit of time with Sherpa women. I did, I, and I, I it's it's a bit complicated in terms of the cultural barriers and making people feel comfortable with a male, with a, a male from a different culture to come into their world. So I tried to be very respectful of that. There are customs that we have in the West that are, for us, very normal, maybe shaking hands, looking someone in the eye when you're, when you're speaking. And in Nepal, those things um, are considered disrespectful. So I wanted very much to have people open up to me, and yet I knew that the little girl who's carrying the bundle up the mountain, I can't stop her in the middle of her trek. She's on a time schedule, and if she doesn't get there on time, she might get in trouble. She might get hurt. Or if I am seen speaking to a young woman, people might think that we're having an affair. You know, I didn't want to make my curiosity a burden for others. So there were moments that were appropriate for me to speak to people and there was a lot of stuff that I had to do when I got home. And speaking to people here in the U.S., reading a lot, return trips to the region. And you try, as a reporter, you, there's a phrase called helicoptering in, helicopter reporting, where you land in a place and you give an assessment based on your preconceived notions of a place or your own life in New York, Los Angeles, whatever, coming to the wilds of X and saying, here's how life is. And I've only been there for five days. You know, how would you really know? But you make an assessment and a value judgment and you bring your own values as we all do. And I was very weary of doing that in this case. So I tried as best as I could with the limitations to absorb as much of this culture and to be around as many of these people as possible. And ultimately, that is the conceit that either reporters or novelists uh, make, and that's you, you make an attempt. You, you do your best in terms of trying to depict a place 
with as much honesty as you can. And then there's times when you take license and try to infuse some of yourself into the characters and into the, the setting. Well, and that was going to be one of my questions, actually. Uh, you know, I, I, wondering whether you, as a white guy from the U.S., were worried about sort of putting your own spin on what a Sherpa woman might be thinking and believing and wanting in life. Um you know, because this book is is told in the first person, you know, from the point of view of a Sherpa woman. And yet, um, you know, obviously you're you're you are coming in with your own thoughts about what she's going through. And I'm just curious how you how you navigated, um, you know, trying to be accurate and honest about what what might be going through the mind of a woman like this? I think that in this moment right now, that very question about who is allowed to tell a story is a very touchstone question, and it's very much debated. It's possibly one of the biggest points in, in literature right now. For myself, uh, what, what, no matter what my... Uh, gender or or ethnic background, um, and I don't just see myself as a white guy, um, but no matter what I am, as a writer, as an artist, you are going to bring that to your characters. That's just the very nature of of life. You know, if I'm going to make a certain dish, I'm going to put my spin on it. I think that there's a lot of uh, fear of stepping on toes and doing the wrong thing that it can unfortunately inhibit some of the creativity or some of the some of the risking uh, chance of 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 art itself um, art is inherently subjective and it pushes a lot of buttons and it causes people to have a lot of joy and, and sometimes a lot of pain so the best I could do was create a situation and a character and try to have logical conclusions of how that person would react. I have been told by a lot of female readers that the character in the book, and the book itself, that people have told me it, it, they were surprised it was written by a male in terms of the tone and the way it was written. And it's, to me, very... Uh, I take that as a compliment because my fear was it sounding like a foreigner, like a male. There's always going to be things, and especially through the editing process, there were things that inherently I'm, I, I got wrong. But I think that it is such a hot-button issue. I didn't want to just do for my first book the finding yourself in Brooklyn or LA type of story that I see a lot of people doing, which maybe it's makes more sense. Maybe it is certainly safer. Um, I'm the first person in my family born in the U S my parents are both immigrants. My parents are refugees. Both sides of my family have escaped genocide and oppression and communism and in the concentration camps. 
So this is stuff that people don't know when they look at me, but it is marked me and marked the way I look at the world and the way I feel as someone who is passing or as someone who is an outsider and someone who feels different. And these are all elements that I brought to the novel because my central character is very much an outsider. She's very much someone who feels different and feels ashamed to that. So that's the background I brought. Ultimately, all that is, is interesting fodder for discussion and the relevancy can be debated. However, I think if the book is compelling and it hits the points and, and the marks and is honest, then that should really speak for itself. So when is the movie coming out? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I would love to come back on the show when we, if I have some good news with that department. <laughs> there is, there is, there's some interest in some stuff, and, and I think it would be ultimately a very strong female-forward story and opportunity for some strong female actors. And should it matter that a, a male wrote it? I think it shouldn't, but... Some people will say yes, and I think that that's something worth talking about. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me. Thanks for having me, Willow. I appreciate it so much. Adam Popescu is a writer and journalist living in L.A. His novel is called Nima. If you're interested in picking up a copy, we have a link on our website, outtherepodcast.com. You're going to eat it? No. With the eyeballs? Yeah, you got to try it. No. Why don't we both take one? I'll try one with you, okay? Okay. So recently, a group of my friends got together to do a taste test. We were sampling crickets, as in the insect. That's because one of Out There's sponsors is a company called Exo Protein. They make snacks out of crickets. Why crickets? Because they're nutritious and they're rich in protein, and they have a much lower environmental footprint than other forms of meat. But I wanted to know how they actually taste. So I convinced some friends to try them out with me. You ready? Ready? Oh, well, like that's great. Yeah. yeah. It's crunchy and yeah. it's, I mean, yeah. If I didn't know that this was a cricket, I couldn't identify it as a cricket. No, no. it tastes just fine. Like normal. Um, normal? Like, what is like, normal? Like a normal snack I would have. Yeah, like a normal crunchy snack. In addition to making seasoned crickets that are, you know, in cricket form, EXO also makes a whole array of protein bars and other products using cricket powder. For 15% off your order, go to exoprotein.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's exoprotein.com, promo code OUTTHERE. It's time now for Community Classifieds. Today's classified ad comes from Deanna Jensen maker of The Trail Journal. The Trail Journal is a pocket-sized notebook with a different prompt on every page for an easy and meaningful record of your hikes. You can get 10% off with the coupon code OUTTHERE at DearSummit.com. 
That's D-E-A-R-Summit.com. Promo code out there. Today's interview was produced with help from Ben Montoya. Alex Eggerking is our strategic advisor. Jessica Taylor is our advertising manager. Laura Johnston heads up our ambassador program. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. That's it for this episode. Have a beautiful day. Be bold. Go outside and find your dreams.